Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. I just love having a New Year's Eve that has a worship time. I don't know about you, but I... Jim, remember all those New Year's Eves at your house? For how many decades, right? Yeah, but it would be a party at your house, then Christ the King, right? How, many, how long did that go on? Yeah, decades, right? So um, it's just good to worship together, to be here. I'm going to set my glasses down just in case I need them later. Uh, will you pray with me? Lord, open our hearts to your word. We are people who, uh, by your grace, come under your word You are the truth, and you lead us in truth. And so lead us, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So um, let's see. Is is it up there? Oh, you know what it is? Turn on. Look at that. Amazing. So uh, I wanted to take a little bit of a look at 1 Peter, because what I find kind of interesting is, you, your last image of Peter in the New Testament, or at least in the Gospel of John, is when Jesus is reinstating him in ministry. I don't think I have to go into much detail to say that Peter was a bold man, and what did he do? He, he fell. He denied. And he's ashamed, and Jesus reinstates him this way. He goes, after they had finished eating, Jesus says, Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know I love you. And what was Jesus' words? Feed my lambs. And then it's like, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. How many times do you deny him, right? How many times do we have, take care of my sheep? The third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt, you know. And uh, the third time, he says, do you love me? Yes, You know all things, I love you, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Sometimes it's translated, tend my sheep. And I thought, well, okay. Then when he wrote his first letter, he was doing sheep tending, right? I mean, if if this is the admonition of Jesus to Peter, then his first letter would begin with words to the sheep. And I couldn't help but think, What a better thing to think about here at the end of the year would be Peter's words, at least the beginning of his words, to the sheep. So 1 Peter begins this way. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a... Wait, did you guys just sing this? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded, I'm sorry, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed. Yeah, I love, he begins his letter, does he say, hey, you know, guys, it was great to be with you? No, he's let me talk about Jesus. And not just talk about him, praise be to God, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but praise is powerful, isn't it? There's something that happens when I praise or you praise. And and even uh, James says it it, it can almost be a little exorcism, right? Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you, and Satan will flee. I I remember singing a song uh, 
Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, as I start thanking him and praising him, and the cares and the worries can kind of fall to the side, can't they? I remember a song by the Imperials years ago. It said, when you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams and your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested schemes and you feel the urge within you to give in to earthly fears, don't let this faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise him. Praise the Lord. Our God inhabits praise. Praise the Lord for the chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise him. I, I thought about them uh, that when I read a Facebook post by a friend of mine who's a pastor. Now, he posted this publicly on Facebook. There were 22 shares last time I looked, but I also texted him and said, hey, can I use this? He's like, you're like the fifth pastor who asked me for that. You know, and, and what is beautiful about this is his vulnerability. He, he says, I realize this uh, is long, but I hope that my transparency helps someone dealing with loneliness and depression this holiday season. He says, I'll never forget the day my held, uh, head elder and best friend walked into my office right before beginning the second service and handed me a letter of his resignation. He said, Pastor, I'm so sorry, but I've been a Judas and I can't cover it up anymore. He then proceeded to tell me how he had betrayed my trust in the most painful way. The shock, anger, and pain from the sting of betrayal from two people I trusted more than anyone else in the world was overwhelming. I, I was numb. Thoughts flooded my mind. Are you serious? How could this be? What did I do wrong? How am I going to go out and preach to a church packed to capacity? He had to get that in there because he's a pastor. Um, it, it was the most devastating moment of my life. I, I felt as though everything I had trusted had failed me. Over the next few months, I found myself sinking deeper and deeper into depression. It, it was deep, dark time where I was paralyzed by fear and bitterness to the point of despair of life and prayed to die. Every day was a struggle. I, I just couldn't seem to break out of. Thankfully, I never really entertained the idea of suicide because I didn't want to inflict the pain on my family and children. I was afraid of being lost eternally, and I didn't want God to, uh, but I wanted God to take me. And I realize it sounds unspiritual and weak, but unless a person has walked this road, they just don't understand. I was hurting angry, bitter. I, I took it out on everyone around me. The, the more people separated themselves from me, the more angry and bitter I became. And, and the worse the depression became. You see, depression is not something most people can just shake off or resist. It usually is a process and it takes time. I'm actually writing a book on it right now called I Dare You. He says, but there's five things that help me push back and break free. One, having trusted friends to talk to that I knew wouldn't tell anyone else and wouldn't use my struggles against me down the road. Two, spending time in the word and in worship and allowing the Holy Spirit to heal my brokenness and re-energize my spirit. That's why I share that. He's like, you know what? One thing that helped me was getting my attention off myself. 
And, and then he says, also rest. One, one thing pastors do the least is rest. Working out was my release valve. Long runs, walks helped me clear my mind and heart. Embracing a new challenge. I had to embrace the passion. I'm sorry. I had to re-embrace the passion I had lost and allow God to renew my vision and then learning to forgive myself and others. He goes on. It's a, a long post. But the power of praise is powerful. Even for us, when we go through those really dark times, when we go through those times of depression, and Peter knew this. And then he says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may prove genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The the thought that I had when I read this was many times in our culture, when we think of God and suffering, we go, oh, they can't go together, right? Because if God is God, how could he allow suffering, right? If God is all good, all powerful, then why would he allow suffering to happen, right? And here, Peter doesn't seem to have that problem, does he? He's like, you rejoice in your salvation. You rejoice in all the gifts that God has given you, yet you got to suffer griefs, and it's like all kinds of trials. Like, I, you look at 2021, anybody have all kinds of trials? Anybody have some serious suffering? Yeah, yeah. And somehow he's still finding joy in the midst of his suffering. It's, it's, it's puzzling, isn't it? And, and yet this is part of the Christian life. One lady wrote this. She said, a number of years ago, a friend of mine invited me to do a Bible study on Job. I'm like, oh, thanks so much, but I don't have the time right now. Uh, I said, shunning my inner woman who is screaming, are you kidding me? Life is good. Doing a study on Job is practically asking God to rain down suffering, loss, and pain. You knock yourself out. Uh, I'll be over here sipping lemonade and reading Philippians. And then... Within a fairly short amount of time, my husband was laid off. I miscarried. I had two major spine surgeries. Then for an encore, an alien abducted my sweet, toothy 12-year-old and replaced him with a teenager. I wish I had done the study on Job, right? I mean, this is like... And it, suffering comes in all different shapes and sizes. And Paul, I sort of should I say, Peter says, you know what it is? It's a refiner's fire. It's taking your faith and it's, it's pulling off all the stuff, right? Tim Keller said, all our houses are built on sand and suffering kicks us onto the rock, right? All our houses are built on sand and suffering kicks us onto the rock. I remember a song by Keith Green, you brought me here where things are clear and trials turn to gold. Somehow I was texting somebody this week and and I'm like, you know, somehow God uh, will use your suffering. I'm not sure how, I don't know when, but he'll use it. And right in the midst of the moment, I pray that he uses it to help you stay even more connected to him, to help you hold closely to the vine and just say, Lord, I got nothing. I don't even see any fruit. And I'm hurt and I'm suffering, but I want to abide in you.
because where can we go, right? Remember, remember Peter when Jesus is talking crazy about eat my flesh and drink my blood and everybody leaves him and looks at his disciples, hey, you gonna leave too? They're like, Lord, you got the words of eternal life. And sometimes in suffering, we're like, God, I, I, I feel like leaving, but all I know is you have the words of eternal life. And if this is gonna refine me so I'm more useful, then I'll, I'll trust you with it. I, I, I was thinking of... Um, Psalm 61. In Psalm 61, look, look how it begins. Oh God, you're my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you as in a dry and weary land where no water is. What do you think's happening here? David is hiding. He was either hiding from Saul who wanted to kill him or it's later in his life and he's hiding from Absalom who wanted to kill him, right? It's for one reason or another, He's out in the desert, he's thirsty, he's remembering worship, he's remembering times, and he's suffering. And yet, what does he say? In the midst of his suffering, he says, but your loving kindness is even better than life, and my lips will praise you, my soul will bless you as long as I live. I'll lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Now, for us, we're like, what? But it's like, the best food back in that day, right? It could be sushi for you, some of you guys, you know. And he said, my mouth will offer praise. So somehow, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of people seeking to kill him, his, he, I mean, his, his could be his son, could be a trusted king, but they seek to kill him. He says, in the midst of this, my soul is going to be satisfied in you. And somehow suffering brought him to that beautiful point, like a, a point he could probably um, never make happen. In the midst of suffering, the reality is that you can't change your circumstances. But what can you change? Your, your, your thoughts, your mind, right? I remember my mom going through cancer treatments and all, you know, she had the pump and, and um, you know, cancer doctors can be really mean, you know, like do everything you want because you, you're going to die, you know. And, um, and she said you know what, I really have come to appreciate the birds. And, and many times, just the simple, beautiful stuff where you're like, Lord, here's my situation. I'm just going to accept it. I'm going to rest in it. I'm going to trust you with this difficult situation. And yet in the midst of it, I'm going to find the riches affair. I think that's the refining process of the suffering um, I, I think our prayer becomes the serenity prayer in the midst of this. God, grant me the grace to, to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, the courage to change the things which, I sh which should be changed, the wisdom to distinguish one from the other. Amen? Now, many of you maybe know that, maybe a little bit different. Reinhold Niebuhr wrote this. This is a little closer to the original one. But the second part says, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Wow. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Yeah, can I get an amen to that? Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you.
forever in the next. Right? Yeah, amen to that. And then he goes on and he says, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glory to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. So here you are, just imagine, you know, 2,000 years, 1,000 years before Christ, these prophets are prophesying and they're like, so the Spirit's like, hey, it's not for you now. Somewhere down the road, this is it. Do you ever think about the ripples that you leave? Do you ever think about that? I mean, I, I, I don't think we actually see all the ripples that um, we leave, right? I, you know, I think many times the, the things you do of service or maybe the things you say or the, the, the stuff that happens, like the ripples go out. Jim, when you had the teachers pray for that really dumb idiot student named Doug, did you ever think we'd be here? Ripples. Ripples, Right? I mean, it's, right, Norm, when, when you were part of that little group that started Community of Hope years ago, did you ever think you'd be here? No. Ripples, right? But somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit put it in your heart. You're like, pray for this. Pray for the, the worst, right? Pray for the worst. And you're, you're like, I'm never leaving St. Mark's. But you did, right? Ripples, like, like we don't know we don't see the big picture. We just see the moment and the prophets. They, they, they were blessed. It's like, hey, you're going to do this for somebody else. I like that saying, I sink, you float. We don't know every time we choose the cross, every time we choose to sink to help somebody else float, whether it's a conversation or a long text conversation or, or giving money, time, what, you know, like whatever it is, when you're sinking so somebody else can float, we don't know the ripples of that. We just don't know. But that's the way God made the world. I, it's like a wonderful life, isn't it? Do you guys, at Christmas time, any wonderful life likers? You know, no, Betty didn't like it. I, I like it's a wonderful life. And, and if you know the story, it's all about his ripples, isn't it? George's wonderful life was going to be traveling, seeing the world, getting some big job, right? But he always had to deny himself. And he always had to, to stay home at Bedford Falls and, and run the bank. And, you know, and, of course, then he gets to see what it would have been like um, if he hadn't lived, right? And, and the, the world that wasn't there. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, um, I read this Christmas, uh, a little comment on It's a Wonderful Life. Because, you know, so many times we think of George leaving the ripples. But this commentator, this author said, you know, I don't think George is the real hero. Listen to what she said. Mary Bailey is the true hero of It's a Wonderful Life. I know Jill, uh, that he's, uh, George is booked to be or billed to be the hero. But wait a minute. How does the movie start? With a prayer. And who's praying? Mary. She's praying, 
God rescued George, right? And what does God do? He sends an angel to rescue George. To answer whose prayer? Mary's prayer, right? And when the, the, the bank guy loses his money and, and they need money, who says, take our honeymoon money? Not George. Mary does it, right? And when this house is dilapidated and, and George is breaking the windows, what does Mary do? They end up moving there and, and, and renovating it and wallpapering it. And she's taking something ugly and, and dying and makes it born again. Who is it? It's Mary. And when George is going to take his life because it's the only way he can you know, keep the bank, who starts the first GoFundMe? Mary. She's the one running around town collecting money for George, right? And the beauty of it, it what they would say, is that Mary is the real hero. But the, the movie is really a picture of ripples, of ripples, of how our lives, somehow we don't see the ripples, but God does over and over. You know, um, people who volunteer here all received, and anybody else will have a chance to, to buy this book, Life Together. And frankly, it's a ripple, right? The author is dead. You know, he was, he was killed by the Nazis in Germany, but he was a Lutheran pastor, a seminary professor. He actually, Jim's going to do a sermon next week, so we'll get to, to know Bonhoeffer better, and then I'm going to do a sermon series on this book, Life Together, Christian Community. And look what one author said, Richard Foster. He said, most books can be skimmed quickly. Some deserve careful reading. Precious few should be devoured and digested. Life together belongs to the third category. And we're going to help you devour and digest the truths in this, but it's a ripple, isn't it? The guy wrote it. How did he know that someday people in Broadview Heights, Ohio, would be reading that book? It's a ripple. Right? It's, it's a thing that goes on and on. Well, the scripture uh, goes on, and I'm going to end with this. He says, if you address as father... One who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth. You could almost translate that awe, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, the unblemished, spotless blood of Christ. I mean, if, if we could get this, like we would go, you think I'm that valuable? You think I'm that special? Redeemed with the precious blood of Christ? So um, this couple wanted to buy a car. So they had some knickknacks and things around their house and they're like, there's some value to this stuff. So they had an appraiser in, kind of like the Antique Roadshow comes to your own house. And so the appraiser's at their house, and he's starting to appraise her stuff, and the appraiser spots this doorstop. Yep, nine-inch <laughs> nine doorstop. It had been a doorstop for 40 years, worth 250,000 pounds, pounds more than a dollar, right? Yeah. The doorstop. The door. <laughs> it had been passed down in their family. It was like a, a calligraphy pen holder from China. It, this is a, a picture of it, 
right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know. I'd sell that for two fifty two. But it's very intricate. It's one piece, you know, and it's worth that much. And they use it as a doorstop. Now, let's say you you knew the value of that, and every day you saw it being used as a doorstop. What would that do to you? Yeah, you'd be like, no. No, right? And I think this is part of what Peter is saying. He's like, guys, you and I, like, what, what was paid for you is the blood of the Son of God. How would you live if you knew that? If you could get that down into your being every day as we move into the next year. Jesus, wait. Though, though, other people might not think much of me. You value me like up to the sky. Honor God. Respond to him. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you that we're worth a lot more than that. And you look at us and you say, hey, get it down deep and live that way. Honor God with these blood-bought bodies. Have mercy on us when we didn't, Lord and minister deeply into our soul each of, each of our value today. And Father, when we look back, there's a lot of perplexing stuff. There's a lot of stuff from, from 2021 that, that we, we just sit here with. And yet I pray that you'd hold on to us and that we could hold on to you. Jesus in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.